0: Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series.
1: Hello and welcome to Kodish. Uh, we have another great episode for you today. We're going to be talking with some engineers behind Trailhead today. Uh, and what is Trailhead? Well, I'll let our guests answer that. But first, let's do some introductions. Uh, Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, what you work on, and um, any other little snippets or nuggets that you want to share about yourself?
2: Sure. Hey, my name is Tyler Montgomery. Uh, I'm an engineering director on Team Trailhead here at Salesforce. Um, Been with the team for a little over three years now. I'm a remote employee. We have a distributed team, so we have people all over the place. Um, yeah, before uh, I got into engineering management, um, several years ago before that, um, build you know, spent a long time building apps in Ruby and JavaScript and Rails. still want to be an engineer, but, uh, doing the management thing now. So
1: you gotta have people, people organizing the people. Uh, so Sean, how about you? Who are you? What do you do?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm Sean <laughs> Russell. I'm a principal engineer, uh, at Trailhead, um, I've been with Salesforce for three years. And uh, before that, I actually worked with Tyler at Living Social. Um, I've played many roles like throughout my career, but uh, right now I'm full stack with a focus on UI. Um, I'm working with Trailhead's design system right now. Um, And I'm a huge fan of Heroku. I've been uh, using your product since 2010 pretty regularly.
1: Oh well, thanks. I think I'm I'm similar there. Even before I started working at Heroku, I looked at my like looked up my creation date in the Heroku database, and it was like the end of 2009 or 2010 or something like that. Um, What uh, what what programming languages have you had like professional experience with, Sean?
0: Yeah, so uh, I've been programming professionally for a while. So I started, um, I think my first. Paying gig in two thousand three, and it was PHP because that's what everything was back then. Right, um, Java or PHP. Yeah, yeah. I even uh, did a little bit of ASP pre.net, mm-hmm. which uh, I've put out of my brain. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I've been working pretty pretty much narrowly with Ruby and JavaScript since uh, two thousand nine. It's really my preferred stack.
1: Cool. So how about, how about let's answering what is, what is Trailhead? Um, Tyler, what is, what is Trailhead like from an end user's perspective?
2: So it's a hands-on learning platform. You come in, you learn about all these different subjects and you can actually test out your knowledge um, on a real Salesforce environment um, to figure out how to do some stuff. And so, um i would have loved this back in the day trying to work with salesforce data and trying to work with salesforce apis um as a a rails developer ruby developer um we didn't have it then and so now it's, it's pretty powerful to be able to you know integrate this business data um that a lot of companies have in salesforce with your you know cool apps that you have on heroku um and so um you know so we really see it as a way to empower you know everyone to you know, how to use Salesforce better and how to really take advantage of all everything that, you know, Salesforce has to offer. So
0: yeah, it's really a lot more, uh, fun and interactive way of learning something than reading documentation. We have content even about learning Git and Swift, um, and other technologies on there. It's not just Salesforce. Yeah, yeah, Agile, but, I think um, um,
2: Atlassian, we have other partners, Atlassian and GitHub have contributed content, Apple has stronger. contributed content, so it's not, yeah, it's not just about Salesforce, so now we've kind of expanded beyond the kind of the Salesforce ecosystem, and the, our partners are starting to see like, hey, this is a really interesting way for people to learn, have um, started contributing, you know. That's,
1: yeah, meant. that's interesting. The uh, I think there's something, uh, maybe, you know, maybe this, y- you know this, but I think there's something really powerful. In in what in what you folks have figured out in that um, the technology industry or technology world, whether that's a Salesforce developer or a Salesforce admin, um, kind of as the examples of, of that, um, you know, presently there are a lot of like barriers for people to get into technology, um, whether that's co- very complex documentation or um, you know, uh, I don't know, like a male dominated culture um, who communicate like in a male way or in way that in, in ways that males kind of identify with. Um, I think it's pretty pretty interesting and cool what Salesforce is trying to do here, um, has done and trying to do as like as other topics outside of Salesforce are, are added to this, um, in in just making technology and building technology more accessible to to others. So yeah, um, and that's, that's that's our
2: cool. was one of our big values is trying to you know empower everyone. And there's a bunch of great stories. You can go on Trailhead.salesforce.com or Make It Easy Trailhead.com. You can read through a bunch of the stories that we have for you know people making these transitions. And um, you know it's really cool to see people go from non-technical jobs within a year or two to you know these really well-paying technical jobs. And that's why I love doing it every day.
1: That actually is a good good point to build cool stuff or helping people build cool stuff because. Like that's kind of a mission or a value of Heroku too to help developers build cool stuff.
2: Yeah, it's been really uh, useful for us to to be there. Um, but yeah, Trailhead is built on on Heroku. Um, we have a number of you know we have a number of pipelines. I was trying to count them up. It's like too many to count now quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, but we have a number of applications all running on uh, mostly Ruby on Rails. We have some JRuby apps. We have some Node apps. Nice. Um, kind of all running on, on heroku so it makes it really easy for as we've grown over the last five years to really try things out and try and figure out how to expand and, and how to how to get bigger because this uh this was a side project that got out of control um
1: yeah i was just gonna ask that before we go into kind of like the more deeper technical pieces the uh yeah how did how did trailhead start up or where did the idea come from
2: yeah so um so b- before sean and i's time um uh, this is about five years ago now one of our developers were evangelists uh, Josh Burke he's still with the company mm. he um, yeah. you know he's going around the country and you know as developer evangelists do they go teach classes they show up at user groups they go to conferences and he wanted a way to know what level of salesforce skills that the group he was presenting to or the class he was teaching had before he got there he just wanted a way to test their knowledge and so he fired up a little node application um to connect to the salesforce api so you'd sign up for what we call a developer edition so it's it has all the same seed data in it you go sign up for it you grab it it's yours it has a couple logins and then you uh, oauth with his app and then his app can use the salesforce apis to test your knowledge and uh, like you could do simple things like, hey, go log in and make Chris an admin. Uh, you know, create a user and make Chris an admin on on the Salesforce instance. And so you come back to the application, you click, you know, check the challenge. It reaches out to the APIs, and um, oh, nice. it says, yeah. oh nope, Chris isn't an admin. It's the wrong license type, or and then you go back in and you fix it, and then yeah, you pass, you win. And so so Josh showed this to some of the other developer evangelists. They're like, this is awesome. We need to make this into a, into a, like a thing. We need to make this real. So. So they got in a room, they said, okay, and we're going to debut this at Dreamforce, which is our, you know, Salesforce big conference in the fall. And I said, that's in uh, six weeks, <laughs> ready, <laughs> set, go. And oh um, so they, they did an initial sprint. And that's how we ended up on Heroku. was developer.salesforce.com uh, was already hosted on Heroku. was already a Rails app. And they said, well, you know, we can. This is a prototype. Essentially, we have a prototype in Node, but we already have this thing running. We already kind of have all the URLs, all the stuff hooked up. So let's just build it. So it lived at slash trailhead on developer.salesforce.com, and it was a Rails app already on Heroku because it was just easy to get something up and running on this in six weeks, and that was kind of the the constraining factor there. And uh, so they they spiked on it. They got it done, and they shipped it for Dreamforce. Uh, they had one slide in the developer keynote announcing it, um, and that was it. And it was just kind of like, okay, we'll see what happens. So from there, um, so, you know, we talked about you earned badges on Trailhead. Uh, Mm -hmm. Over the next year, so I was in 2014, so we had 11 badges when we launched. Um, And over the next year, um, 300,000 badges were earned uh, in the community over the next year. So it just kind of caught fire. It was like, whoa, this is crazy. So at this point, you know, we earned 300,000 badges in all of 2015. And fast forward, um, we're doing more than 600,000 badges a month. So the scale we've grown is just you know, more than 10X in the last couple of years. Um, so that's just kind of in that last three-year period, we've we've been just growing like 10X. So kind of everything around us has been growing like that. So the team has doubled every year um, that I've been here. And uh, we're just going like crazy. So, um, and being on Heroku has really helped us with that, right? So it's just like, it's pretty easy just to scale as we go. Um, not that it's been easy, you know, scaling a web app and growing is not not easy. It, it can be really difficult. So that's kind of the Genesis story. That's where we kind of came from.
1: That makes sense. I was going to ask yeah, Sean, about um, about scaling. You know, of course, many people know that, yeah, it's easy to just drag a slider, or run a CLI command um, or make an API call to horizontally scale. Or you could even do s- similarly, like vertically scale um, going up dyno size. But I imagine there's other things or there's always other things you have to do to scale. It's not always that simple. Um, what are what are some of the other other things or other challenges you faced in, in scaling?
0: One of the things that you know we've struggled with in a lot of uh, it's kind of typical Ruby on Rails applications is uh, you know n plus one queries. Yep. So you got to make sure that you have good um, developer practices and to uh, limit those and good monitoring. Um, we use New Relic uh, to catch those early and mm-hmm. and uh, stop them out and then. Uh, once you got that under control, you know, um, it's looking at request queuing, making sure we're provisioned correctly, um, and that our Puma configuration is adequate and appropriate, and um, our garbage collection is, is tuned in. We'll look at object allocation, things like that. You know, it's all kind of kind of standard, like Ruby on Rails best practices, that w- that we have to think about our app is uh relatively ordinary so yeah. uh <laughs> thankfully uh and it's really nice with uh heroku our developers um everyone knows it when they join our our team because it's so ubiquitous in in the, in the ruby and javascript community uh, yep. so that's that's been really great people come on board and they like Everyone has something to contribute from their past experiences using it, and uh, everyone knows how it works. They know the CLI; like it's it's great.
1: Yeah, um, you were even saying uh, to me earlier that one of you know when you saw that that they were using the Trailhead was using Heroku, that that was a, a positive from like a, a hiring perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, at least for me, it, it was a big positive. So, uh, I worked at a startup uh, in 2010 and we, um, we were initially on Heroku and I took that team from a solo developer, me through like 25, uh, people. Wow. And, uh, you know, we grew on Heroku the whole way, uh, up until we had to become, uh, HIPAA compliant. Ah,
1: uh, yes. Okay.
0: And then, uh, that came in and, uh, Peroku Shield wasn't a thing then, right? Yep. So um, I had to port that all over to AWS with OpsWorks and Chef and all that, um, and uh, never
1: again. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you've seen you've seen like deeply. It's almost like a perfect experiment that you've done. You've seen like the same end user result implemented in two places and not just like a simple rails app with like a database, but something that is used by many users. Yeah. I had to
0: transition that off of Heroku and on, and try to like replicate the, uh, you know, the developer experience too um, Mm. while supporting a growing team uh, on AWS. And we just simply weren't able to do that. Um, This was before like, uh, Daku was a thing and elastic mm-hmm. stock, So, yeah. um, it was a unique experience, uh, that
1: I don't have to think about anymore. <laughs> Sounds good. That's true. So, so there was a, um, there was a, like a, an event that I'll event. Let you, <laughs> you named, uh, <laughs> yeah. that required kind of sudden and unexpected scale. Um, can you, can you tell us that the story about this, this event?
2: Yeah, so um, so we had an event. It is now known as Astrogeddon. So Astros are our mascot, but it's Astrogeddon. And um, so what happened is we have a, a group called Trailhead for Students, and they work with universities on getting you know students learning with Trailhead. And they set up a, an event in India with 100 different colleges in India and said over two days uh, the college that earns the most badges is going to win some prize money and the person who earns the most badges like the top three badge earners over 24 hours uh, will earn some prize money and you know the uh, fame and you know adoration of their peers um, now is learning like this in 24 hours 48 hours going to stick who knows but that was kind of the that was kind of the thing is to get everybody on this thing and trying to you know and for us it was just like let's get a bunch of new people into trailhead and see what sticks yeah and um unfortunately they forgot to tell us the engineering team about it um <laughs> and so i'm sitting there on uh i think it was wednesday night and i'm sitting on the couch uh you know with with my wife and uh nine thirty, 30 pager duty goes off saying hey the site's having some availability problems and she looks over at me and says hey What's happening in India? Because she just knows, like you know, India is our second largest user group outside of the uh, North America, and so yeah. you know we've had we've She's had issues really in the 90. past. It, it's like you know nine thirty. That's ten a.m. India time. Nine thirty p.m. is ten a.m. Yeah. India. So she, she knows the drill. <laughs> um, you know, I think every spouse knows when hates the the pager duty sound, um, <laughs> and uh, so I you know get online. I start looking. I'm like, hmm, the site is super super slow. So, um, so you know, I start I start pinging people to get online and um i started looking at google analytics and stuff and i'm like oh my god it's like all of india is on trailhead right now and this <laughs> is what it felt like to us you know just yeah. in terms of scale of yeah and it was uh it was pretty amazing and so you know we were able to throughout that event throughout those two days um we ended up scaling our dynos almost 100x to keep up with the load um we had some really crappy queries that were really slowing things down on a couple pages and the problem that we had is the students were all following this workflow like so everyone was all of them are all signing up at one time so if you want to Mm -hmm. load test your site this is a great way to do it just organize an event in india get you know several thousand people all from real you know It's like entire computer labs you know you can imagine you know your university computer labs or libraries right everyone just sitting there in a big hall doing the same thing so they're all going to sign up and they're all going to we have a feature called trail mixes and it's kind of a it's like a it's like a playlist of content so it's like they had a trail mix they made for the event um and so we had some we had some problems with sign up uh, at the time um some queries that were non-performant like sean was talking about m plus one queries and stuff are always yeah. kind of the, the bane of existence and then trail mixes had this uh this query problem and we knew it was a problem the more stuff you added to the playlist the slower it got mm. and they happened to just add like a whole ton of stuff to their trail mix um and it was really slow, and you know, since then we fixed these problems, right? And this is part of it, you know, doing the, doing the post mortem, doing the root cause analysis stuff, which was great. So this is like a really great load test to to figure out, you know, kind of, you know, really highlight some of these issues.
0: It made us think a lot more about caching. And, yeah. Uh, yep. I believe also we may have had uh, some synchronous API calls in the sign up process.
2: Yeah. So at the time yeah. we were integrating with the Salesforce org to do um, single sign-on. So Salesforce has a single sign-on product. So we didn't have to, our Rails app didn't have to manage talking to LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all that. So it was just, it just talked to the Salesforce org. And so that we had some synchronous queries with that Salesforce org. And so we are just, we were just DDoSing ourselves every time we'd go through this different <laughs> flow. So yeah. Um, and you know we fixed a lot of the stuff. This was two years ago at this point, but um, I think Sean, you went on a on a, a rampage on our homepage trying to <laughs> make it faster. I think you're still on that project. Yeah, it's kind of a never ending, never ending, cache all you know. the things. Yeah, so it it you know, and that's one of those things as you grow. Like you don't expect these things to happen, and they're they're interruptive and they're. You know, they kind of highlight some of the weak spots that you know as developers we kind of know like that oh, thing's kind of crappy, but you know it's not used that often, right? But then you have one of these events that really highlights that, and so it was really good to yeah. get some of this technical debt like on the roadmap and really get you know the PMs and the you know business owners to really see that like, hey, this thing is really important. We need to invest time and we need to take away from maybe some of the feature work because um, when we're when you're in something that's growing this quickly, you know maybe Sean, you can talk to us too. Is like we are always trying to do the next feature the next thing and you know trying to just push 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 to keep going and keep you know you have this wave it feels like you're just surfing this wave of like you know attention and you know interest and you want to keep going on that wave so it's really hard to stop so sean i don't know how you've yeah if you can talk about that at all like what it's been like to kind of make these trade-offs as we as we've grown
0: well like uh tyler was saying before like we had a lot of momentum that was kind of unexpected at the beginning, right? And, uh, we wanted to maintain that. So we've been pushing feature after feature for a while. Um, kind of like we operate a lot like a startup within the company. So, um, when you're building features fast, uh, you're not necessarily, uh, thinking about optimization. Um, and some of that goes out the window to hit deadlines and whatnot. And, uh, so I think, you know, events like that prompt you to kind of like regroup uh, and and address some things, or and to try to prioritize that into like future backlog and whatnot.
2: Yeah, to sort of kind of round out this event. Um, so, so what what happened, right? It was this event. So, this um, we we scaled our dynos, you know, to kind of keep up, and we got to the point where Redis started falling over because um, we had so many connections and so many dynos, and we we're like, oh, what is going on? And so. Um the cool thing was is on our team we have we don't have anyone that does devops. We have people that know who we have people that you know varying levels of knowing how to manage stuff on Heroku. Uh, but we have no like dedicated devops engineers and we've never hired anyone in that capacity which is which is really cool from a management perspective with using Heroku. Yeah. Um I can just have people focused on like building features and optimizing things and not necessarily worrying about networking and all the other stuff that Heroku provides for us, yeah. um, which I think most people know, if you use Heroku, you know that's why, right? And um, so, you know, Redis starts falling over, we're like, oh my gosh, like we're keeping the site alive as we go, you know, as we're going. Um, and it kind of coming in waves is, you know, you know, the students are going to sleep and coming online, and we could tell they're working late through the night. And then, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, they're not signing off until 2 a.m. And then, you know, people are, then the other people that sign off earlier are getting up early at 5 a.m. to get on the get on the competition. So we really didn't have a whole lot of down. You know, we didn't have any of that nice. You know, um, you know, go right. to sleep, wake up curve that you typically see right in your your, your volume. Right, and um, you know, we got a little bit of reprieve through the middle of the afternoon, our time. Uh, here on the west coast and um and so uh redis starts falling over we had two engineers do a hot swap to the next you know version of redis above where we're at just to get more availability and we did it without any downtime which was amazing um and we kept the site alive and then we got to the point where we had scaled out and we were literally having problems with you know postgres connections and you know, connection pooling and then it was like at that point we're like, okay, we're doing everything we can to keep the site alive. And um, you know, our our technical architect made the point of like at this point, you know, most apps would have just said, We're, we're just we're turning off and we can't complete the event, like, you know, just please just stop, right? And we were able to get through it. And we were able to get through it and people you know, the site was slow. Yeah. But we were we were able to survive it. And then afterwards, you know, the traffic went away and then we were able to scale everything back down. So there's no you know, I've talked about this before with Heroku, there's no huge capital outlay for us. I'm like, we've got to buy new servers and rack them as fast as we can. Like, yep. you know.
1: And then the traffic I mean? goes away and they just sit there. the traffic
2: goes away and you're sitting with this monster server that does nothing. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been there before in the past. So, um, and so yeah, like, it was really cool. It was a 24-hour cool. event. Is that right? It was 48 hours. So it was, it was two hours. days of this. Yeah, yeah it you was got two paged. days of this.
1: I think you said it was Wednesday at like 9 p.m. You got paged. So were you yeah, went through- just like awake for 48 hours or did you have kind of tag team
2: and like we we kind of tag teamed it um so we are we are distributed team but we're not like around the globe we're basically just in you know on in um you know the western hemisphere and um so we got things that first night just kind of patched up good enough to get through the night and you know i think we all kind of signed off around 2 a.m or so and then you know came back on the next morning a little groggy and okay things are okay people are asleep you know starting to the traffic starting to die down a little bit. We're, we're okay, and then it kind of picked back up the next night. That Thursday night, um, it picked back up a little bit more, and so I think we were online till again two or three a.m. that night, and then we kind of called it. We're like, okay, Postgres if I have a problem problems. We can't do a we can't do a zero downtime swap of our Postgres instance at this yeah. point with where with where we were at at that point, and so it was like, okay, good, good enough. <laughs> like we've gone a hundred x. I think right. that's all we can do at this point. Um, so we said, okay, it's good enough, and you know, um, you know. If, pre stuff's going off throughout the night. We'll just, we'll keep an eye on it, you know, make sure the site's still available. So we're looking at, you know, different, you know, we have little pings and stuff to make sure the site's alive.
0: and yeah. Those were working, so we were happy. I'd be interested to see how it would have performed if we had auto-scaling enabled and we were on a bigger Redis instance to begin with, like how much we would have noticed.
1: Yeah, does that, well, and I'm curious, like, from that experience, um, has that kind of informed, like, either explicit policies or kind of implicit um uh buffer that you kind of maintain in your in your uh infrastructure services in some way so that it can absorb an event like this or maybe you know even something smaller um or do you think about like you know when when dreamforce happens maybe everybody stops visiting trailhead when dreamforce happens because those are all your users but yeah our users all
2: come to san francisco but yeah (laughs) at,
1: at any salesforce events like are there big um spikes that you have to kind of prepare for ahead of time
2: we have done some of that prep for like you know super bowl moments are we're going to be on the actual mark benioff's keynote and right yeah and then what the thing saw. is is everyone's in the audience watching they're not coming to the site so it's <laughs> okay. kind of like there is no you know huge rush to it um yeah. and like dreamforce week is like a normal week for us because most of our you know most of our trailblazers are at dreamforce but we're getting a lot of new people signing up on site and yeah. checking it out it's yeah. but it's, it's a normal week of volume so um, but I don't know, Sean, maybe you can talk more about kind of how we've approached auto-scaling and how we think about scaling.
0: Yeah. So I, I believe we're a bit over-provisioned right now, probably, just in case um, there's uh, any events that weren't communicated. Uh, however, um, I actually am not positive if we have auto-scaling enabled at the moment. Um, I, I should probably go check that. Uh <laughs> Um, I, I know some of that's uh, that's been been in flux. The conversation around that, and it's not exactly my uh, my my ownership duty. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. but uh, I think now our average request time, uh, respo- request response times, down to like 200 milliseconds or something. Where like in a really good place right now um, to handle uh, you know increased load. It it should uh, scale pretty linearly with hardware i think yeah, i think we kind of touched on it earlier we're, we're we're fairly
2: vanilla you know we're mostly the the web app when you log into trailhead.salesforce.com, and you go see that that's one web app run rails app running on postgres and redis like it's pretty boring um you know i know we said we keep trailhead weird but on the engineering side we like to keep trailhead boring and we didn't always do that it was you know we had all kinds of add-ons and you know developers were trying all kinds of stuff early on we had CouchDB and we had memcache and we had all these add-ons and stuff and you know over the years what we've done is we've really tried to standardize on the tools that heroku provides because we know that one they're good and they're probably going to solve for most of the problems we're going to have yep. um, you know postgres is pretty darn good and Redis is pretty darn good and Kafka is pretty darn good. We haven't even implemented Kafka yet. We keep talking about it. We keep trying to find use cases for <laughs> it, but you know, we're we're uh, you know, we're getting there. We're as as we grow, but we've really and what allowed us to survive Astrogeddon is a few months before that we had actually just gotten off of uh, we had a Memcache, uh, Memcached D provider and they were having availability problems We had this weird piece of code that if it couldn't load um, it was trying to store JSON in Memcached which not necessarily a great idea Um, and sometimes the json document was too big to fit in the one megabyte limit for a key on memcached and so the code if it couldn't fetch back all of the different pieces like so it would store it in multiple you know multiple key values to to, it would chunk up the json and if it couldn't fetch the whole thing back then it didn't have a json document to parse so it would just say it was really funny. It just would say delete everything <laughs> and start over, yeah. and then it would fetch the documents from CouchDB because we were on a shared hosting thing for CouchDB, and so it had really huge variability. And uh, so we we're like, okay, just cache it. And so they, were, you know, the developers at the time decided to cache it in Memcached. And so this Memcached provider, um, they had, they would have these like millisecond outages. And so it just depended if we were in the middle of fetching one of these large documents. It would end up just deleting everything from memcache and starting over and it would spike all the traffic over to couchdb and then it would just slow down the whole site and so we had just worked on a few months before that moving everything all the caching into redis uh, and moving a lot of that data that was in couchdb we had worked on moving all of that into postgres and putting some apis in, up for internal for our publishing system our publishing system was writing everything to couchdb and then we'd have a script that pulled it into postgres And so we moved it we you know did the thing right put an api in front of it have a nice interface, and then nobody cares what's behind the scenes except for us, and so we were able to do that. So during this event, we were able to do the hot swap on Redis, and we were able to just keep pushing Postgres as far as we could possibly take it, um, which was cool. If we would have, if we hadn't done that work, we wouldn't have been able to survive that that incident. So um,
0: yeah, that so that's been, been kind of problem.
2: Yeah, and the other thing we've, inst- and we're, we're starting to make this change, you know, this future growth that we're, we're working on is trying to change into being an API first organization. We've just really relied on being just a web app, but as things have been more complicated and more complex, as the team has grown and as our, what we need to do has grown, um, you know, we're focusing on how do we, you know, we're starting to go down this road of microservices or just services and services yeah. talking to each other. So we've really had to enable that, like, say, okay, services have to respond within a certain amount of time. So like 200 milliseconds is kind of just our. Or max, you know, because you have chained multiple services together, that can right. become a really long request. So, um, so we're starting to make those changes as an organization, and, and really relying on, um, you know, setting some of those policies, just we know some of the stuff's going to happen in the future. Yep. Um, yeah, makes so, sense. There's definitely planning for I, spikiness. is good, right? I,
1: yeah, totally. Well, that's the. Uh, I feel like it, there are waves that come, in the kind of keep keep your keep your stack or keep your technology boring. Um, ethos where it kind of comes and goes, right? Because I think as you know, many developers um, and the way that other like cloud providers kind of market their stuff, it's like, Oh, it's the new shiny thing. You got to try it out. Like it's the new block storage service or the new um, uh, ElastiCache service or the new, um, I don't know, what, whatever they are, all these, you know, all the other cloud kind of infrastructure providers are constantly pumping out new services or new things to use AI, like, like image uh, classification things, um, and we want to use them. Like we want to use the new hotness as a as a developer. But there's kind of I see it. I see it coming in multiple waves and kind of in like different developer communities. This idea of that's great, but like keep production boring. Um, like have your have yeah. your stuff in production be boring. Don't don't get too fancy. You know, maybe another um, kind of analogy of that is in the Ruby community where like with Ruby you can do all this. Crazy meta programming, but do you really want to do that and want that in production so that you or someone else has to debug that when something goes wrong? Um, I don't know. Have you run in, run into that, uh, Sean, at all? Yeah. Either, either one.
0: Yeah, I feel like you really uh, want to be pragmatic. Um, you want to use um, the stack that's going to keep your team productive um, and not just like follow the shiny. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. And, you know, Ruby on Rails, like, it might not be the newest thing, but it's not the oldest thing either. And right. Ruby is definitely a pleasure to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to your point about the metaprogramming is uh, I'm not someone who wants to uh, work with people who who get all over that either. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it can make your life. Um, their intent wasn't to make your life stressful but it can when when that suddenly is like a huge huge problem uh, because it's so much harder to debug
0: yeah at some point it's uh people showing off how clever they are you know right we also have flexibility too in that where you know the, the, the tools that we're choosing and
2: using on a daily basis you know everyone's trying new stuff wants to be more productive and so we do have some freedom to do that and as a manager it's it's important to you know empower your team to explore but it's also important to remember like we got to support this thing in production and i've been on plenty of projects that have been just sunk because of this you know yeah. it's like oh let's try this new cool thing and it's just like Now we're spending all of our time figuring out what's going wrong with this new fancy NoSQL database and like why it's performing weird on this version of centos and whatever you know it's just like it's not fun it stops being fun after a while it's fun (laughs) at the beginning and then it stops being fun when it's you know in production and it's you're up all night trying to deal with it
1: yeah Um, you can't you can't use the new thing or the next new thing yeah you have to maintain yeah
2: and we're right now we're working on a new project where we needed um there was like no support uh, there was no Ruby support for uh, this this, this um, project we're working on, and there's really great support in the Java community. So we're like, okay, let's can we can we get something to work in JRuby? Mm, uh, yeah. Can we pull in this this package and make it work? And you know, we're using a little bit of metaprogramming in Ruby to make it easier for the other developers on the team to be able to contribute in Ruby, but yep. not have to worry about JRuby and Java and having to know all that because most of our team are Rubyists, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool to be able to do that. You know, we got some great support from folks at Heroku and trying to set up our first JRuby instance and how to run with that and and getting that going, which was which was cool. Um, and it was cool that we could, um, but we you know had to be real pragmatic about it. It's not just you know, it's not easy. It's not set and forget. You know, but it's also you know not just trying a new thing. Just to try the new thing. Right. Um, it's yeah. really to solve a specific problem that we having and. and there's just no support in Ruby for this this particular thing we're trying to do.
1: That's cool. Um, well, let's switch to um, Trailhead as a commercial product. Um, this is this is a new thing, right?
2: Yeah, this is a new thing. We just we just launched back in March. Uh, we just GA'd um, my Trailhead, um, which is cool. So now you can you can have Trailhead all to yourself and put all your own content in there and. Um, again be, this was just sorry to be clear, this is
1: like so right now when you go to like trailhead.com or trailhead.salesforce.com, um it's all hosted and managed by Salesforce. This is now um, my trailhead will be it's kind of like is a SaaS product, right? So it's hosted, still yep. hosted by you and managed by you, but it's like my company's separate and private instance of Trailhead. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's
2: pretty close. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Again, this was just one of those things that happens is that, you know, people at the company were like, hey, this Trailhead thing is cool. Uh, We really like it for learning, Um, but it'd be cool if we could put, like, why couldn't we put our, you know, I think a lot of good products start with, like, why couldn't we do, you know, blah. Um, So it was, why couldn't we put our employee training in here? Um, And can we make it so that just when you're a Salesforce employee, you could log into Trailhead and you'll see, um, and back then you would see a mix of the Salesforce employee content and you see a mix of the, the public Trailhead content. Um, and we said, well, why couldn't we do that? And we said, well, sure, let's let's try it out. And um, so we did that, and the the interesting thing that we found doing that was um, the big groups that were producing content for that was uh, a group at Salesforce called Market Readiness, and they are the people that train our salespeople. And at mm-hmm. Salesforce, we have a whole lot of salespeople, um, and that's that's the majority of our size of our company. And you know, when Sean and I were at Living Social, it was like you know we had like four thousand salespeople and a few hundred developers. Yeah. And the hard part, if and I didn't know this. I've never really worked with salespeople, you know. Before I kind of know that, you know, salespeople—they're going to come with features and tell us to do stuff that we don't want to do, yeah. um, right? So we kind of have an adversarial relationship as developers with salespeople. But trying to kind of empathize with what they have to deal with, especially at an enterprise company the size of Salesforce, and we've made you know how many acquisitions, there's how many things to sell. Um, how do you train several thousand salespeople to talk about the company and talk about the products all in the same way? And that was really the problem they were trying to solve. And that's what. We somehow hit on it with Trailhead and this kind of ethos of like learner first. So it's not a learning management system. It's not go do this training. It's we're going to write really good training materials for you know the sales team or our like our HR division writes stuff too. Like we actually do all of our like uh, compliance training now in, in, in Trailhead. Um, and so we're going to make it really good, really accessible. Yes, we are going to sometimes say it's required for you to do, but most of the time it's not. And most of the time we just put it out there and, you know, managers will encourage teams to do it and they'll put goals around it and stuff, but it's not like top down driven. It's more bottom up. And so what we found over doing that, so we launched this thing. Um, this was actually the first kind of really big feature we worked on. And after Sean and I joined the team in 2016, um, so we launched that and super badges and and uh, for uh, the first trailer DX. And so we launched that and it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing inside the company. What we found were these salespeople that the more badges they earned on Trailhead of their own volition, they were just better at talking to customers about stuff. Mm-hmm. They, were, they just knew all the different products that were to sell. And it's just a better customer experience. It's just like, it's a customer, you come with a question and your salesperson can one, tell you you know if, if you're using sales cloud for instance you're just using the normal crm product and you're like hey we want to do email marketing i heard you guys do that the salesperson instead of saying hey let me get back to you with a subject matter expert in a couple of weeks if they've done the like marketing cloud trainings they kind of know how to talk about it right and so it's a different conversation and then they can link the customer to the publicly available stuff and the customer can go off and play with it and do the hands-on challenges and see if it'll solve their needs mm-hmm. instead of this kind of traditional like oh let me find someone and then we'll pitch you it's more of a like collaboration with working together. So that was really cool. And so our customers went, wait, how are you doing this? And sales people went, oh, we, d- we use Trailhead internally and the customers, went, well, we want it. And, um, and so we've said, okay, well, we have to do a lot of things to get it there. And so a big thing for us was, you know, initially, how do we do multi-tenancy and how do we plan for multi-tenancy? And so, um, you know, we uh, we we figured that kind of from the beginning, but we've definitely made some changes along the way to make sure, you know, customer data is secure that only customers can see it. And that's our big thing at Salesforce with trust being number one. Value at Salesforce is you know how do we make sure that you know your customer data is secure? It's on Heroku, you know, which is kind of a new thing. We're the first, I think, one of the first products on Heroku. Um, and so that's been a really cool thing for us to do, and to launch a product at Salesforce on Heroku has been a really neat um, kind of partnership between kind of the, the two worlds. So yeah, so that's how it's been going. And then so the last couple of years, it was just how do we, you know, implement this thing so our customers can use it and make it easier to create content and and you know develop it and release it and. Um, and all those kind of pieces that we just kind of piecemealed together and duct taped together to get it to work internally. It was how do we productize that whole process? And that was a really long, it was like two year journey for us to do that.
1: What piece of advice would you give to a developer or development team who are are scaling up on Heroku? They found product market fit, their user base is growing, they have salespeople, they have marketing people, and they're, they, they're needing to scale up their um, architecture or their system. Um, if you had to give them one piece of advice, what would that be?
0: All right, I'll go first. Uh, I would say it's uh, integrate the New Relic plugin or an equivalent, uh, hunt down any glaring performance issues, make make your uh, endpoints respond rather uniformly, and then uh, set up auto-scaling based off uh, request queuing.
1: Yeah, okay. So an APM, like New Relic or or something similar to that, an APM plugin or add-on and auto-scaling. Okay, what about you, Tyler, anything from a team it, perspective or from a team yeah, perspective?
2: For, yeah, for a team perspective, for me, the big thing is, you know, getting your iterations short, um, you know, and, and being able to have predictability in your release cycle. And so for us, that's getting pipelines set up. Um, so, you know, make it so that, you know, review apps, you know, people can re- literally, you know, you can have, you do quality control, you can run tests on review apps, you can have product owners look at stuff on review apps. Um, making sure you know you can have that, so that you have that really tight integration, you know, uh, that the feedback loop between the developer, uh, you know, the stakeholders, and so we can really can make sure the thing's getting really dialed in, and it's not like you know weeks or months long process to release. Um, you know, just making that cycle shorter and make sure you're releasing you know solid stuff as you go, that it's you know going through all the checks all the way out the door.
1: Yep, makes sense. That's actually something. Forget who I learned it from, but I think it applies to you know any infrastructure or platform um, and, and like the simplest thing was like, Hey, when you're creating, you know, create your Heroku app for something that you are going to share publicly or shared maybe even in just internally to your, your team or your company, um, create two apps at the same time. Right. So normally, at least I would always just create one app. And then when I decide I need some sort of staging environment or dev environment, then I create another one. Um, but, it's, it's nice to do both at the same time, because then you can make sure like the configuration matches for each of them as you're tweaking it in those early stages. Um, and then out of the box, I have staging, and I have production.
2: Yeah, just start with a pipeline. It's just we found it was way easier, especially if we spun up new services. Just start with a pipeline. Yeah. Plan for having, you know we, we do um, we do four stages. So we have review app, we have development, and we have staging, then we have production. And yeah. so it kind of allows us to have Different parts of our process and different checks happen at all those stages. You know, we we cut like a release candidate and it goes from development to staging and then staging to production. And so it just allows, just just plan for being in production, like plan for doing it right. You know, plan for kind of, I don't know, plan for, being awesome at you know releasing <laughs> stuff that you know works right yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the big thing for us early on it was just like just ship it ship it ship it right yeah. and it was like well we shipped some stuff that wasn't good and we didn't we skipped some you know quality checks and we skipped kind of some performance checks and so yeah. for us it's been kind of working backwards into that and I think every organization goes through that but yeah. um, as we've learned as we started spinning up new services it's like let's, let's just plan for that let's just get all the things integrated let's get you know our you know apm hooked up let's get our you know monitoring figured out so it dumps into slack and a pager duty we'll get that figured out first because we know we're going to need that yeah um and then let's go let's get that walking skill we call it walking skeleton let's get an app in a pipeline that looks like it works let's automate deployments let's let's do all the stuff we know we're going to need so it's not like Oh man, we have product market fit. This thing's blowing up, and we're just going to have to put all that stuff to the side. Yeah. And that's what we dealt with for the first, you know, couple of years is trying to get all those pieces working
0: right. And it's way harder to do it later than it is to do it to do it upfront. Yeah, totally. I actually wanted to touch on review apps. Uh, yeah, those those are so helpful, and they really were a game changer for for our QA uh, process um, as a developer, being able to. Uh, spin up a review app for a pull request, and then just send a link to the stakeholder, get validation, send a link to QA to like so they can run their uh, external automation against it. Yep. you know, you know, get it approved, and then then merge up and move on. you know, if there's it's, problems, you can just fix them right then, right? And you're not onto another task.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it keeps that concern it keeps you kind of in the in the flow or focused on that that issue or helps you get back into the flow. You don't have to like, switch branches and redeploy locally or re-start like, up a branch locally, you can see this review app and push changes to it. Um, cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was great to have both of you on Kodish.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining
0: us for this episode of the Kodish podcast. Kodish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash
1: podcasts.